Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When it comes to the growth and maturity of a Christian, it generally can be measured by a person's discovery and their application of what they have in Christ Jesus. In other words, a person first needs to understand what they have, and then they need to apply what they have. And I sincerely believe that a person's maturity can actually be measured in this way. Many times in the past, I have spoken with Christian leaders, and I've asked them the question of, how do we disciple a new believer? What are the kinds of topics that we should address? In what way should we encourage them to grow and mature in their faith? When a person first discovers that Jesus is their Messiah and they receive the free gift of eternal life, then how do they grow? How do they mature? And I believe that a person should grow and mature by discovering what Jesus has already done for them, what he has already given to them, and to begin to live on the basis of what he has done and on the basis of what he has given to them. Unfortunately, there are people who take a different point of view. There are many people who sincerely believe that a new believer, a person who initially discovers that Jesus is their Messiah and who receives the free gift of eternal life, they sincerely believe that a person should first live on the basis of what they are now going to do for God, certainly to be motivated by what he has done for them, but they are to live on the basis of what they are now going to do. And so their point of view is is that we need to instruct people in the subject of holiness, how to be holy, how to stop sinning, and how to do those things that they should be doing. Don't do what you shouldn't be doing and do what you should be doing. But I take a very different point of view. I look at this in a very different way. Now, there are some programs that I have done on this subject, programs such as The Will of God that describes the inheritance that we have received in Christ Jesus, and our identity in Christ. I did a series on our identity in Christ where I spoke about who we are in light of what he has already done. And so I would like to refer you to those programs. But in this broadcast, I would really like to focus on the subject of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that you have and makes a significant difference in your life if you understand forgiveness. It can definitely set you free in many ways and enable you to walk into the new life that is before you in Christ Jesus. However, if you have a poor understanding of forgiveness, you can easily be paralyzed in your maturity, paralyzed in your growth, because forgiveness is truly the foundationary subject, the foundationary issue. It is the foundation of our faith that Jesus died for our sins, and we have forgiveness because of what he did. Now, when I speak of forgiveness in the context of a foundation, it really correlates well to what the Lord Jesus had to say about building a house. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, the Lord Jesus spoke about the difference between building a house on the rock or building a house on the sand. 
In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, the Lord Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is definitely true when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, as well as many other subjects that the Lord Jesus addressed. But when it comes to forgiveness, I personally believe that this is the foundation of your faith. And so I want you to take this subject very seriously and do not underestimate the importance of this subject. Again, if your understanding of forgiveness is not correct, then you will be building your entire faith, your entire relationship with your God will be built on the sand and it will fall, it will collapse. At best, you will be paralyzed in your faith, but at worst, you will abandon the faith because you have not established your faith on the fundamental truth that you need to establish it on. And so I would like to address this issue of forgiveness. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, if I was to ask a Christian, do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? Then the normal response that I have received in the past, the normal response is, yes, I do believe that I have been forgiven, that my sins have been forgiven. If I was to ask the question, do you believe that your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future? Then in general, people would respond by saying, yes, absolutely, I do believe that all my sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. If I was to ask the question, do you believe that without the crucifixion, without the Lord Jesus dying on the cross, your sins would not be forgiven? You would effectively still be in your sins. That without the cross, without the crucifixion, there is no way that you could be forgiven. And people would say, certainly, I really do believe that. But that's not the issue. The issue really is how I ask the question. You see, when I ask those kinds of questions, people will respond and they will definitely tell me the truth. But that's not the real problem. The problem is, is that I can ask the question differently. I can ask the question in a very different way and people will give me a response. They will give me an answer that is totally contradictory to what the scriptures say concerning forgiveness. For example, if I was to ask somebody, do you believe that the sins that you are going to commit this afternoon are going to be held against you? Do you believe that the sins that you committed today are held against you in any way whatsoever? Then there are some Christians who would say, yes, I do believe that if I commit a sin this afternoon or later on today or tomorrow, that my God will hold those sins against me in some way. People do believe that. If they don't believe that directly, perhaps they may believe it indirectly. Let me give you another example. Do you believe that if you commit a sin, you must ask for forgiveness in order to be forgiven of that sin? And if you do not ask for forgiveness, then your God will still hold that sin against you. If a person says, yes, I believe that I need to ask God for forgiveness, then what they are saying is that they do not have forgiveness. Do not underestimate the seriousness of this statement. 
If I believe that I have been forgiven, then I also believe that I have not been forgiven because I have to ask for forgiveness, otherwise I won't be forgiven. That's a total contradiction. There is no truth in that understanding whatsoever. There is nothing but deception. I mean, you have to really decide, my friend. You have to really think about this. You have to decide, are you forgiven or are you not forgiven? And this is a very divisive issue, a very divisive issue in the body of Christ. And you will have to take a position. I personally do not believe that the position that we should take as Christians is that we have to continually find ways of obtaining forgiveness, either through our confession, through our repentance, through our apology, through our going to a priest, or through our exercising various religious activity. I do not believe that there is any way whatsoever that a person can obtain forgiveness for the sins that they are about to commit. I don't believe that. I don't see any evidence in the scriptures, personally, that I believe would suggest that this is the case. Now, I do understand that there are people who do believe that there is evidence in the scriptures. I just read those verses very differently. It's not that I don't know that those scriptures exist. I do know that those scriptures exist. I don't have a problem with the scriptures at all. It's just that my understanding of these verses in the scriptures is different than the understanding that other people have. And I will, of course, take some time to address these scriptures that people refer to because I think it's very important for people to understand why people do not believe that they have been forgiven. And I do believe it's very important to take down these barriers. Otherwise, a person will not live in the forgiveness that they already have. Now, this subject is so serious that we should consider that for just a moment. And that is that if you do not believe that you have been forgiven, then what are you going to do to get forgiveness? Well, whatever you do, it's going to have to be outside of the forgiveness that he has already given. And so you will immediately be living on the basis of something that is not real. You will no longer be living in reality. You will now begin to live in your own personal, individual fantasy, or in the fantasy of someone else, or in the fantasy of some other congregation, or community, or seminary, or country, or who knows what. The issue is, is that there is a reality, and there is fantasy, and that which is not real is not real. You must embrace that which is real, that which is true, if you are going to be in the light of the living God. Now again, the issue in this case is not do you believe that you have been forgiven. The issue that you have to be confronted with is not that. It's everything else that you believe on top of it that totally negates that truth that you have been completely forgiven. And I will be addressing this subject throughout this series on the subject of forgiveness. So the problem is that people still believe that God holds their sins against them. That is a serious problem. Now, I believe that this needs to be dealt with. Does God hold your sins against you or does he not hold your sins against you? This has to be dealt with. This has to be resolved. Now, if the Lord still holds your sins against you, let's make that assumption for just a moment. 
Let's assume that your God holds your sins against you. It doesn't matter which sins they are. Let's say it's the sins you are about to commit today or tomorrow or something like that, or perhaps even the sins that you've committed recently that you haven't asked forgiveness for yet. Let's just assume that your God holds your sins against you. Now, there is one of two alternatives. The first possibility is that you are going to trust in the forgiveness that you have because of what Jesus did for you. He died on the cross for you, and so you have forgiveness. He died on the cross to take away the sins of the world so that your God would no longer hold anyone's sins against them. That's one possibility. But in general, people don't really believe that. Let me say it differently. They they do believe that, but it is everything else that they believe that totally rejects that belief. And so people live in this double-minded contradiction, and I want to resolve this matter right here and right now in this series on forgiveness. The other alternative is, so the first alternative is that people can trust in what Jesus has done, but the other alternative is that they are not going to trust in what Jesus has done. But if that's going to be the case, then there is only one way that you can obtain forgiveness. There's only one way left, and that is to reduce the seriousness of sin. You have to reduce the seriousness of sin if you are going to obtain forgiveness in any other way besides the death of the Lord Jesus. You have to reduce the seriousness of sin. And this is what people do. They say, you know, sin is really not so bad. I understand that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6 verse 23 is a good example. In Romans 6 verse 23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. And then, of course, he goes on to say that the free gift of God is eternal life. But that's how serious sin is. It's either death or it's not. And you have to decide. You have to take a position concerning this. Either sin is so evil, it is so wicked, it is so horrible, that it requires death, or it's just not that bad. It's, it's, it's really not such a big deal. And you have to take a position. You have to recognize this. You must understand that this is what people do. People reduce the seriousness of sin, and they say things like, no, sin is not really that bad. It doesn't really require the death of God manifested in the flesh. It doesn't really require that. It's not, it's not really that bad. No, all you have to do is apologize. Go to God, either indirectly through a priest or directly on your own. All you have to do is just go to God in your own way, pray to him, and just simply ask him to forgive you. You just need to repent, apologize, and then ask for forgiveness. There is no need for death in this context. You don't have to sacrifice animals. In other words, you don't have to go down to some altar and set one of your pets on fire. You don't have to do that. You don't have to rely on the death of Jesus on the cross. You don't have to rely on the death of anything or anybody. All you have to do is apologize. And if you do that, then God will forgive you. Now, there are a number of verses, again, that people use in order to support this position. And I will address these verses. But in this context, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Either sin is evil or it is not evil. Either it requires death or it doesn't. And you can't have it both ways. 
You cannot say that sin is evil and then it's not so evil. Either it's wicked and evil or it's not wicked and evil. I mean, you've got to really decide. I believe that you must take a position concerning the seriousness of sin. And when people do not believe that the death of Jesus was adequate to deal with the entire sin of humanity, then the only alternative that they have is to believe that sin is not so evil so that you can address sin in another way. You can deal with it in another context. And I simply do not believe that. I do not believe that your apology is the means by which you can obtain forgiveness. I just don't believe that. Some people do. You know, I've asked a lot of pastors this question. I've asked them the question of, do you believe that the Old Covenant had to do with sacrificing animals, effectively killing your pets and setting them on fire? Do you believe that in the Old Covenant, that was the way that people dealt with sin? And in the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus died on the cross in order to institute a new covenant. So... You can deal with sin in a simpler way now. You don't have to do that now. All you have to do is confess to God that you have sinned, ask for forgiveness, and he will grant forgiveness. Is that what you believe? Do you believe that in the Old Covenant it was about sacrifices, sacrifices of animals, and now in the New Covenant it's about the sacrifice of your lips? It's about your attitude and your heart, and now you just simply apologize. Is that what you believe? And I have found that many people respond to this question by saying, yes, absolutely, that is what I believe about the new covenant, the difference between the old and the new. And I'm going to tell you flat out that I do not believe that. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that sins were forgiven under the sacrificial system in the old covenant. And I don't believe that sins can be forgiven today by apology and confession in this perception of what the new covenant is. I believe that there is only one way that forgiveness has ever been achieved. And that is through the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. From what I can tell, there has been no other provision for forgiveness ever. Now I do realize that there are many passages in the law that referred to atonement and forgiveness. I know the law, the law of Moses, where the Lord said in the Old Covenant that if you were to do certain things, if you were to perform certain sacrifices, then certainly your sins would be atoned for. And it also says in the future tense, and they will be forgiven. But I believe that there is a distinct difference between atonement and the forgiveness that he was referring to. I believe that the forgiveness that he was referring to is something called propitiation. Propitiation has to do with the complete taking away of sins. It is an accounting term that means that you are going to reconcile your books. You're going to perform an act of propitiation, which is to say that somebody owes you a debt that they cannot pay, and so you write it off. Write it off your account, effectively write it off your books. You effectively no longer require someone to compensate you for what they owe you. That is the true forgiveness that we now have with our God, that he no longer requires us to compensate him or to pay for the sins that we have committed because there is no payment that would be adequate. There is no way that we can possibly compensate him for the loss that he has incurred or that the people in his world has incurred because of what we have committed. And so there is no alternative but to completely write it off, to take action himself on his own behalf to invoke propitiation, which is to take away the sin. 
So I do believe there is a difference between atonement and propitiation. Atonement has to do with the memorializing of sin. It covers sin over in such a way that it memorializes it so that we do remember our sins. Propitiation is such that he will no longer remember our sins. And I have done a couple of programs on the subject of atonement and propitiation and their difference, and I would certainly like to refer you to those programs. But in the context of forgiveness, you must understand that it truly is a matter of life and death. It really is an issue of are you going to believe that the wages of sin is death or are you not going to believe that the wages of sin is death? Now, of course, the Lord Jesus did not just die for our sins. He also rose from the dead. He was resurrected from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been risen, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. In other words, the crucifixion in and of itself was not the completion of the salvation that we now have. There is also the resurrection The resurrection was vital. If he has not been resurrected, you are still in your sins. Now, there are many ways of viewing this. I think a very simple way to understand this is to see that because he was resurrected, his sacrifice on the cross was accepted by the living God. It was acknowledged that there was a fulfillment that took place. And so I think that that's the simplest way to view that. And I would just like to stick with that for right now and not try to get too complicated. But when you consider this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if he has not been resurrected, you are still in your sins. A very important thing to realize here is that because he has been resurrected, you are no longer in your sins. You are no longer in your sins because he has been resurrected. And he has been resurrected, of course, because he died on the cross. There was no way for him to be resurrected unless he died first. In this context, in this verse, it's clear that you are not in your sins. If you are not in your sins, your sins are not held against you anymore. And so if your sins are not held against you anymore, there is no forgiveness left for you. There is no forgiveness that you can appropriate. There is no forgiveness that you can acquire. There is no forgiveness that you can legitimately ask for. To ask for forgiveness is a total rejection of the forgiveness that you have already been given. And it has been confirmed by his resurrection. Through his resurrection, he has demonstrated very clearly that he no longer holds your sins against you. So if you are going to deny that he doesn't hold your sins against you, if you want to suggest that he still does in some way, then you are denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the meaning of it. And when it comes to denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, what we are then getting into is the subject of salvation. We are then getting into the question of what does it mean to be saved and how are you saved? And what I'm going to explain in the next broadcast is that if you do not have the complete forgiveness of sins, you do not have salvation. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. 
You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.